0: The Talksport Fan Network is proudly supported by Mook Delivery, bringing you the food you love. Mook Delivery brings a top tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with Mook Delivery. So the only thing left to say is Georgie, check for dadsy. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app, and you can also get rewards points delivered too. So the ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. <laughs> only via Rapper participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery free in terms supply. See McDonald's.com.
1: Leicester City have a penalty kick in the sixth minute of injury time. Injury time, injury time. Injury time. Knockout takes, Almunia saves.
2: Knockout follows in. Almunia saves again. And now Wampner on the counter-attack. Forestieri. I don't believe this. Here's Hulk Dini. I do not believe what I've just seen. Troy has scored from a Leicester penalty that was saved
0: by Almunia. Do not scratch your eyes. Do not scratch your eyes. Hello, you're listening to the Do Not Scratch Your Eyes podcast. I'm Justin.
2: I'm Colt.
3: And I'm Peter.
1: And joining us today, Derek Payne. Hi, Derek. How are you? (laughs) I'm brilliant, thank you. Great to be invited on. Oh,
2: it's lovely to
3: have you. It's absolutely lovely to have you. There are supporters of a certain age who remember the mid-90s and a certain team that was very easy to like, very full of characters, very full of, well, a, a good couple of seasons, some that were difficult. But Derek, you were in the middle of, of all of that. And it was lovely. We want to get to that. But can we, we always start when we have a special guest, of which you are? We start with, tell us a little bit about how you fell in love with the game of football when you first got to kick a ball about how the bug bit and how you got into, first of all, non-league.
1: Yeah, as soon as I was a kid. I loved the football. I was out in the garden with the football. There was, there's four of us, four brothers. So I was the second. And obviously my dad was into his football as well. It's in the family. My cousin's Gary Waddock, the one who used to play at Queen's Park Rangers. Really? And then he joined that. Really? Then he joined oh, the other that... lot up down the road. So it was just, loved the football. As soon as I could kick a ball, my mum said I was playing in the garden. She said I was the easiest child to look after because just give me a ball and I went out in the garden. And, and so it was from an early age, from the age of four. And
3: um, yeah. So did were your brothers like mannequins? Did you just like dribble round them? Or were they occasionally just kicking you and toughening you up? What was the kind of family interaction
1: football-wise? Yeah, I always wanted to be better than the older one. The older one played a... Uh, a lot of non-league, Colin. Colin was at Harrowborough, played loads of games at Harrowborough. Oh, wow. But obviously, I always wanted to be the best one. That, that was my mentality. Yeah, they did used to kick me, but it was great days. Out in the garden, we'd play two against two and stuff like that. My dad would join in. And I, fortunately, we had a club called Church Lads Brigade, which was, right. like I come from Harrow. It was near. It was in Harrow. We had, we used to we joined there when we were like seven. And it weren't just football. You had table tennis. You had other things going on. Snooker. And and it all started there really for me. And but I did. I, I and I still do. I, I love the game of football. It's something that I think's a great distraction from stuff. And it's also good to meet people. It was from an early age.
3: Oh, it's a great distraction. But at some point, we'll talk about the last two seasons. There's a vicious
2: <laughs> ru- Derek. There's a vicious rumor that you were born in Edgware. Can you confirm? I was born in Edgware, but
1: I lived, we lived in the Harrow for for most of my life, which is obviously not far from Watford. Yeah, but I was born in Edgware. I think we lived in Edgware for a year. The best
2: of us were. The best of us were, my friend. I was also <laughs> like born that, in that, Yeah, they say the best come from Roger, don't they? That's yeah. it. Exactly. That's it. They do. They very much do. <laughs> Who Brilliant. says this?
0: Who says this? I've never heard this. <laughs> Who says <laughs>
2: this? Mainly Carl. Mainly Carl does. Yeah. So,
3: yeah. So, uh, one of the questions, it, it having done our little bit of prep, believe it or not, we prep for this. <laughs> Your team as a youngster was QPR, was it not? And Yeah, I'm, I have to be QPR honest no, that's, that's fine. there's nothing no problem that. But in and around then, QPR, when you would have been growing up, had one hell of a team and came runners-up at one particular point. when you're dribbling around your brothers and humiliating your older brother simply because
1: you can, in your mind, which player were you for QPR? It had to be it had to be Stan Bowles, didn't it? I, I actually remember the the, the nineteen seventy four side that come yeah. second in the Premier League. I can I could go through the names: Dave Clement, Ian Gillard, Jerry Francis. Jerry Francis was a favourite, but Stan Bowles obviously. I was I'm a left footer. He was a left footer, but he's a character as well, wasn't he? Yeah, great. And I was a QPR fan. I must admit, the whole family, my dad, brainwashed me into that one. But Yeah, it was good. First game I actually went was to Vicarage Road. When I was about four, he, he told oh, wow. me that. And I, remember, I can remember that, sitting in the old stand, where the players come out now. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah. but, but I remember then, it didn't go again until I was about 10 and went to QPR. My dad was QPR, and I loved it, just watching it and just seeing it up close. I well, just loved you- it from then on.
3: Anybody who doesn't remember Stan Bowles, the famous line was he could pass the ball but he could never pass a bookie's he was one <laughs> of the ori- he was one of the original mavericks and uh, as well as players like well Rodney Marsh Rodney Marsh Carlos um, uh, Yeah
2: my mum would be over the moon you've mentioned him again
3: Yeah yeah <laughs> uh, Carlos's mum and Rodney Marsh we're starting the rumours now It's right So you're coming through uh, as a youngster you, was it Kingsbury Town, your first side?
1: I was taken by Southampton at the age of nine. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. And I remember going, I know, I don't want to sound like I'm being egotistic all year, but when I was seven, I was put into the under 12 team at school because I, I was really good, but I was tiny. Yeah. Obviously, I was small. But yeah, I was with Southampton from the ages of nine to 16. And I had other clubs that come in for me, but like they tell you, we have give you your chance and, and stuff like that because they, the, they they were renowned They had the London Centre, Danny Wallace, if anyone remembers him, Steve oh, Williams. Yeah. So that that's where my football, that's where I, I really learnt a lot from being in that sort of environment, so 9 to 16, and then I got let go at 16, believe it or not. They said I was a bit small, which I'm sure you're all surprised. <laughs> but yeah, I was always battling against being being small yeah. So, yeah so then I went to Kingsbury Town yeah Northwood Kingsbury Town then which was brief but then Northwood was where it really started to take off again for me Gosh. oh wow
3: oh wow how, how did it yeah absolutely I've, I've I coached the, the youth team there many years ago at one stage but it was like it's a lovely club Northwood and it's it's really well positioned where it is etc how do you as a youngster at 16 because obviously we're looking at people like Tody, Toby Adeyemo, we're looking at Jack Greaves, all of these people having to make their way in suddenly transition from youth football into adult football. It's a very difficult time. You're seeing players get released and then you come back. How did you deal with that at the time? Were you quite straightforward
1: with it or was it a knockback? How, how did you deal with that? Yeah, no, it was um yeah, it was a big knockback. It it took my belief out of me. It, it's hard. How can I I'm trying to say this kindly, but when you're at yeah football club between nine and 16 and they're telling you look i had other clubs at crystal palace tottenham qpr even that wanted me to go but but they tell you well we've given you your opportunity southampton was saying to me we give you the opportunity stay with us and so when i was let go at 16 it hit me mentally it hit me it was it's two worst things in my football career is that happening to me, being released at 16, yeah. and when Watford let me go on a free transfer. And and I'm not just saying that because I'm on this podcast. but So I lost belief. I, I generally thought, well, they know what they're talking about. But then I had great advice. Someone said, that's one man's opinion. But I just thought, well, I'll go and play non-league. And that's obviously the standard I'm going to be at. And, and I just, I, I accepted it. Where now looking back, I'm older, you look back on it, Maybe I shouldn't have accepted, but you need people around you to tell that, tell you that. But you actually, I believe that I weren't good enough, and it was always the height. My height was always being brought into it, and then so that was frustrating. But I believe they weren't good enough, and only, and I tell you what, kicked me back into believing I was good enough. I ended up at Hayes when I was about eighteen. Hayes Football Club, yeah, and we played Queens Park Rangers in a friendly, and about five or six of them had played in the first team. I'd seen them on the telly, people yeah. like Gavin Peacock, Mark Dennis. Gavin McGuire and then I played in the friendly and I, I wasn't. I thought I'm as good as these if not better and that's I know it sounds big-headed but that's how I felt and that's when the belief come back so it, it just shows you it, mentally so fragile if you don't believe you're good enough then then you've got a battle on your hands so that's why you might hear some footballers who, who might be a bit full of themselves but you have to believe in yourself if you don't believe in yourself you've got no chance you mentally have to be really strong so that was the thing playing against the them lads that I'd seen on the telly and knowing that I could compete with them, knowing I could, I, felt I could read what they were doing. I felt comfortable playing against them. Then I was a bit angry that I'd been let go at 16, but now I'm older. I can look back and it's, it's worked out really. It worked out really well because the non-league is a great, learning curve a really great learning curve so you've performed well at Hayes you've walked off a pitch
3: after playing with Mark Dennis which is an achievement in itself because normally (laughs) most people would be hobbling
1: at the very least on that experience he did kick me he did kick me (laughs) but luckily we had an older group around me who protected me and they were straight in on him and to be fair he was quite funny because he it did kick off and, uh, and he come in the bar like after the game, and he was all angry. Where is he? But he's just making a joke of it. So, yeah. but he, yeah, Mark Dennis. Yeah,
3: he ended up at Birmingham, didn't he? Mark Dennis, I think. Yeah, I, left I, I, back. I, I, yeah. yeah, left back. There was Tony Coton. There was Mark Dennis, and there was Mick Harford. Good yes, God. he and him. Yes. A, I mean, oh, Noel there. Blake was Noel Blake there. Oh, no, Blake, Christ almighty, I that's a night out. I as well. That's a
2: night out, let alone a game on the that's, Saturday that's afternoon. A nice,
1: that's a nice gentle side. Right out loud. There's a <laughs> few
2: <laughs> bruises in there, isn't there? Oh, my God. So, so the, no, Blake's the biggest footballer I've ever played against, by the
1: way. He's absolutely <laughs> huge.
3: <laughs> so for you, though, almost the penny drops of going, Christ, I can do this when you're playing Hayes versus QPR. How do you then get the jump? To Barnet, how do you get into? And was Barnet kind of conference at the time, or was it in the league?
1: Uh, Barnet, Barnet, in answer to your question, were were in the conference, but yeah, Queens Park Rangers liked me after that game. Mm-hmm. Followed me from which was August through to March. I played twice on their astro turf. Played against Monaco, Glenn Hoddle's playing and Mark Haightley. <laughs> if you remember that,
2: <laughs> oh my um, God.
1: Yeah, this is all true, and I'm going to mention like politics. This is because the politics politics in football. So Jim Smith, who was the manager after the first game, I played really Mm. uh, played well. He said we're really interested. They had signed, but this is a true story. True story. They had signed Les Ferdinand the year before from Hayes. Hayes. from Hayes. and the manager sitting with me, the the Hayes manager, had said he'd said, "Oh yeah, he's really good." When he said that about me. He said to, Jim Smith said to the Hayes manager, he went, but you told me Les Ferdinand was good. And Les Ferdinand was out on loan at the Turkish side. Uh, yeah, the Sixth so, so, And I know Les a little bit. So I've had a joke with him saying, it's your fault <laughs> I didn't get signed by Chris <laughs> Bartlett. <Barney. laughs> <laughs> <laughs> things what, performing well a year later. <laughs> what a career he had, by the way. But, but the politics side of it is, I'm, I'm not sure why it didn't go through. Because Jim Smith virtually said to me, we, we, we want to sign you. And so I'm not sure whether money came into it. I don't know what happened. But it didn't come about. So then Brentford had a look at me, Steve Perriman. He spent a month and sitting on the fence a bit. Might take him, might not take him. In the end, I I stopped there. Yes, yeah, so I I put an end to that. And then fortunately, Barnett come in. Barry, the, Barry Fry, Stan Flashman, they were in the conference, and I literally was playing for Hayes on the Tuesday. He got signed on a Wednesday. Oh mate, I'm laughing because on the and he froze me straight in the first team, Barry Fry on the Friday night. 5,000 against Kettering, I think. I'm playing in front of 250 usually, 250 people. No training session, straight in. And I was lucky. There was a couple of experienced players there, and they just said to me, play one and two touch. It's going to be a lot faster. Yeah. So luckily they did that, and it was okay. But it was like a whirlwind, and all of a sudden I'm playing in front of – and I'll give you a funny story. The chairman, Stan Flashman, come in on the Friday before the game and threw a load of money on like a table there. <laughs> Which he took from the uh, from the gate, yeah. and said, "You win tonight, and you win Tuesday. You can. It's all between you." Which was about two hundred pound each, I think. Which in them days, yeah, was a lot of money. A lot of money, silly, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's quite. It's amazing how much it kicked me on. But it's quite yeah. funny
2: when Crazy Barry Fry on, turns yeah.
0: up in our podcast as, as a discussion. There's always cash or something involved. Or yeah,
2: Peter, <laughs> Peter <laughs> Kennedy. Peter <laughs> Kennedy's got a great story about Barry Fry. You must have. have you got a story. That you can tell us about Barry because it what a character he is. Yeah, I've got lots. He signed you there, he took you to South End, he took
3: you to Peterborough. We're getting yeah. ahead of ourselves, but yeah, oh, there's yeah. gonna be a, there's gonna be one or two there.
1: Yeah, it see Barnett, obviously we were non-league, we had that non-league kind of mentality, it was run like non-league, even when we went professional. But there's so many with Barry. But I'll tell you a true story that I had a fight with him after a game. <laughs> and <laughs> where we go, this is the stuff. This is what we want. And, and we're if that happened in pro clubs even top non league clubs because it was a top non league club you would have been oh, yeah. sacked but he made me captain on the saturday afterwards because i had been sent off and uh, i walked in and he picked up a big water bottle a big water bottles yeah, yeah. thrown it across the room at me and i just snapped and me and him had a fight the players broke it up but afterwards most managers would have that would have been it i was a young i was young and i was a bit i was a bit wild to be honest i'd lost my mum and that and i was a, a bit wild but most managers, that would have been the end of you, you know what I mean. He he just understood me. He knew that I wanted to win really badly. But yeah, and but he teacups at everyone. <laughs> Very good motivator, though. Very good motivator. Really good motivator. Shall I'll give you another story, like go, it? Yeah, don't go, don't for, go for it. Peterborough had Chris Turner was the manager at Peterborough, yeah, yeah, and he was really friendly with Barry Fry. And at how end of season, two, he's trying to, he's literally tapping me out, wants me to go to Peterborough. I was happy at Barnett, so I'm like, no, I'm happy here and all that. Well, we drew him in the League Cup, and I I remember Barry Fry doing a team talk, and he said to me, he just goes, he was going around each player, and he just went to me, he said, Chris Turner, he wouldn't even have you as his ball boy, Derek. (laughs) No, no, he rates me. But by the time the game kicked off, I was like, (laughs) fine, I was like, trying to prove a point. So, yeah, he's a really good
2: motivator, Barry,
1: mad. Yeah, yeah <laughs> and yeah. like you said, likes, likes the money, a wheeler dealer. Yeah, yeah absolutely old school. Absolutely well,
2: old school. We, well,
3: well, we'll get we'll get to kind of days, obviously when we were at South End, and he went off to Birmingham, and then he signed basically half of the footballers in the Western Hemisphere at one point, which was kind <laughs> of, but you you did the decision that came to Watford. But okay, so with there with Barnet. It was. Barnet really was like almost the Wrexham, if you will, in terms of you had the conference, but Barnet were always there at the top. And when they finally got in and got through, it became a a league club and it was obviously kind of good things. But what happened between, you know, you've been at Barnet, you've been in the conference, you've got used to kind of men's football, you know you can do it. Are you pushing on beyond Barnet at that point? Or did you you have a couple of other kind of little segues before you bounced to Southend?
1: Yeah no when we come second the first year in the conference I was there and I wanted to kick on you even when I first went there there was interest I had interest from Premier League clubs and that's where Barry I can give you another Barry story Stoke City I I spoke to Alan Ball I personally spoke to him because he was with Stoke City he was with Stoke City. And he said he wanted to sign me. So I said it to Barry and Barry blatantly said, no, not you. He wants Andy Clark. And so I said, well, Andy's really quick and he's six foot and I'm really small. So Barry, like, he he just wouldn't sell you. But we went, we come second. But yeah, in answer to your question, I always wanted to go as high as I could. I'd come into it late. I was now probably 20, 21. I wanted to get into I wanted to be a professional for a start. I wanted us we were unlucky that first year, we come second, and I was desperate to get as high as I could, and I knew I wanted to do as well as I could. So there were interests from clubs, but Barry wouldn't sell any of us. He wanted to get promoted. Yeah. And that second season, we got promoted, but Barry had left in the February. Yeah. And I'm proud to say that I was captain of the team. Eddie Steen took over and <laughs> we managed to, but we weren't. But we weren't getting paid. We had the PFA in and stuff like that. So we managed to get out the second division. And but that by that time we weren't being paid. And I wanted to get as high as I could. I knew by the end of that season we weren't paid. We were getting paid off the PFA, and it become down to uh, we would all get free transfers at the end of the season. So by the end of that season, it was hard because we all wanted to stay at Barnet. And I don't want to sound like it's all about money, but. I also wanted to advance my career. And so, it yes. weren't. the club was going to pot, as in no money. And Southend were interested because Barry had gone there and they were in the
2: championship. It really was a no-brainer for me to try and move on. You probably don't. also didn't want to run up the the incline <laughs> on the second half at Underhill. Because <laughs> that is some pitch. Anyone that <coughs> remembers Underhill, wow.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah.
2: Wow. Well, I had good
1: practice at the Church Lads Brigade, the team I mentioned earlier. They had a hill yeah. as well. But yeah, under, Underhill was. Yeah, you could come in if you're going uphill and be 2 nil down and you still think you might win the game. So, <laughs> the game yeah. yeah. So you could be coming 2 nil down and usually you'd be unhappy. Sometimes you're like, well, yeah, that's not too bad. We might be able to turn that round down the hill. <laughs> Fantastic.
3: Fantastic. Ed, Eddie Steen, I did my UA for B with Eddie Steen. He was on that as well. Uh, it was like, yeah, he he was a he was also a character, and, of course, brother to both Mark and Brian Steen at Chelsea and Stoke, and obviously Brian Steen somewhere else. We shan't mention it somewhere up the road. But he carried on as Barry's assistant, didn't he? Did he come to Southend with you?
1: Yeah, yeah. No, Eddie was a gr- really good influence on me, and Eddie was great for me, and he really liked the way I played. Barry sometimes would be hot and cold because Barry just wants to win. So, but. Yeah, he, uh, Barry had already gone, he'd gone there and they were in the bottom three of the championship, but he kept them up, mm-hmm. Stan Collymore, he had Stan Collymore there, and uh, so then w- they come in f- for Eddie and he come in for a, f- three or four of us from Barnet. but he, he basically called, we went to South End, they were championship, but South End's a small club in the championship, he basically said we're all rejects, go and prove to everyone that you shouldn't have been rejects, because we had people like, Ricky Otto, uh-huh. who had Ricking, Chris Powell was playing left back, Keith Jones, who Chelsea had let go. We had three or four of us from, from Barnet. So basically lads that had to come through the hard way. And, and that was good motivation because he said basically we're a reject team. No one I think we'd do anything in the championship. So we were we sat top three for the first, up till Christmas. So that's where I go. His motivation was brilliant. But Eddie was helping him, yeah. Eddie Steen and David Howes with Barry. And it was just like Barnet. It was very much Wimbledon was renowned for what they were, but we were very. It was about winning. The, the mentality was just about winning, even in training. It was winning.
3: W- was Southend when you got to you know, go full time, or were you were you already full time at Barnet?
1: I'd had one. We'd had uh, two years at Barnet full time. Uh, we would lost in the playoffs the first year uh, to Blackpool. Um, the second season. That's when we got promoted. That's when Barry went off to South End. So I'd had two seasons as a professional. And come into the championship in the first game, we were live against Nottingham Forest. We drew one all. They had just been relegated. Yeah. And they had all the players like Stuart Pearce, Des Walker. For me, it all happened really quick. But I was loving it. and And... Putting yourself up against the so-called best, and and yeah, it, it happened all really quickly. And uh, but like I said, we done really well at Southend, and Barry left in the Christmas to go to Birmingham, and we were in the we were in the top three all in the championship with what he called a team of rejects. But we done really well. We were on the front foot, and we weren't scared of no one. We didn't fear no one.
3: No, I remember coming on a Tuesday night and you did this 2-0 and it was like you did this for fun. And I remember Tommy scored one, I think, and, and you were there as well. So when did when you went there, was Tommy already there or did he come in
1: when you were there, Tommy Mooney? Well, that, that summer, Baz, Barry brought in, I haven't mentioned, Jason Lee come in from Lincoln City, Jason who ended up at Watford. Tommy yeah. Mooney, obviously, Tommy had been at Scarborough. Yeah. So obviously, we played against them with Barnet, so he brought them two in. Like Ricky Otto had been at Orient, brought him in. But yeah, Tommy joined when I joined, and Jason Lee as well. And but Tommy wasn't. Tommy was off the bench a bit. We had good four good forwards: Jason Lee, Brett Angel, yeah, Tommy Mooney, and I think Gary Jones. But Tommy was playing sometimes, not playing sometimes, and that's hence he ended up coming to Watford and done really yeah. well. At Watford didn't he? But yeah, Tommy had joined at the same time. Great lad, Tommy. Um, determination. I'm a very determined player, but and Tommy just determination was just unbelievable. Yeah,
3: no, we and we spoke to him, and he told us all about quite how clean. Kind of Jason Lee is he basically invite him Brown just to get him to clean the house. Now that's the level of cleanliness that, that really, yeah, oh yeah. He go. I, I used to room with him, and it was great because he get all his stuff out and do clean everything, and Tommy just sit back. Brilliant, brilliant. <laughs> Absolutely yeah,
1: fantastic. Jason, Jason was a presence. Jason was a presence. He
3: bought Jason Lee in, of course, and he followed the same route as. Stan Collymore, who was there when you first went there, who went to Forest before going to Liverpool, etc. So you've been brought in as part of the team that's got to replace that because, as you say... Jason and Tommy and all of these to suddenly trying trying to do that. What kind of role were you playing in the South End midfield? Because when you came to Watford, you were you was you you would also, but you'd always be an option out. You'd always be in space. You'd always get the ball. You'd always you know do it, and it was always tidy give and go. And when you said he said, "Don't worry, play one one and two touch football." I thought, "Well, that's all right. That's your game." How how did you partner with different midfield partners, either at South End or Barnet before you came to Watford?
1: Yeah, if I'm being Totally honest, brutally honest. So at South End we had Keith Jones beside me who had yeah. been at Chelsea as a youngster. And I would say Kante is that type. That type. Yeah. Not Kante, right. but very good player. So me and him would be central. We'd have two wingers. It was four four-two, really. Yeah. Ricky Otto on the left, Andy Anser on the right. And they would and we talk nowadays about the wingers coming in, the full backs going outside. Well, we had Chris Powell coming outside, Ricky Otto. We'd have the right back going round Andy Anser. And basically we would play on the front foot. But my job, me and Jonesy, was a lot of it was making sure the wingers were tucked in when you needed them tucked in oh. when you are defending, but also supplying them. I, I liked, mine was mainly one and two touch, but I liked having pace ahead of me. And that's the one thing when I think at Watford in, the, in a couple of years I was there, we didn't play with any wingers. And that, and, it, and it did frustrate me because I thought Glenn Roder had signed me because we played. I I put Ricky away quite a lot down the left hand side or yeah. Chrissy Powell. We had wingers, so yeah, my role was basically central midfield, feeding the forwards, um, trying to play forward as much as possible. And it was easy in Barry's side because as we never we would never go and sit behind the ball, no matter who we were playing. It was front foot, and yeah, play to get the wingers in play off the centre forward sometimes going to centre forward, then go forward. But yeah, that was my role. And and I have to give Keith Jones was brilliant alongside me because he had the experience. And we were like I enjoyed the physical side of it closing down. So Keith was brilliant because he was like a partner. And I think you've got to have partnerships in teams. It, is, it works a lot better if the two of you are in tandem as a central midfield. So and did
3: you yeah. did you find there was any kind of did you or did you have difficulty with the jump from obviously having won the conference, ready to go up to a division, but you actually made another two jumps up. Did you find the championship a challenge initially?
1: Uh, to be honest with you, this is where I think if uh, you know anyone who wants to be a footballer, uh, like I mentioned, we played Nottingham Forest first game. Yeah. And I was up against Steve Stone, who, who had played for England by now. And I was quite comfortable, like, as in thinking I knew what he was doing and brain wise football intelligence shall we call it but physically he was he was so much stronger than me so i thought to myself I, I could handle the speed of it the speed was a lot quicker but you it makes you play quicker if you've got a quick brain so you ain't got time to think it's its quick the championship just fast and furious and i loved it but i knew after that game the first game i need to build myself up so over the next month and it, and this is the difference, like in my day, you didn't have, I see all these coaches now, we'd have one, two coaches and a physio. I just would train after on a Sunday and I built myself up, I put a stone on in, in a month because I knew that if I didn't do that, I'd, I'd get left, I'd get left by the way, so I wouldn't be strong enough. So that game, but then they were the best team in the league. We played Millwall next, first game at their new ground, and we won 4-1 and I felt good. But I'd say to any youngster, if you feel like you're not up to something in some area, then you have to go and do work on that. And that's what I've done. And I'm proud of that. I got myself the muscle on within a month by going to train hard on a day after a game on my own and made sure I was strong enough because I didn't like the feeling that he, he was stronger than me. So, yeah, the jump, I found it easier. I've got to be honest. I found it easier yeah. because the move, the balls go quicker. There's less touches the higher up you go. And that's my mm-hmm. game. My game was one and yeah. two touch. Yeah. It wasn't dribbling round people. So, yeah, I, I enjoyed it. I loved it there. It's just a shame Barry went.
3: I was going to say, if you look at that, Ricky also got a move to Birmingham eventually, but he could have made a jump. You mentioned Brett Angel ended up going to Everton. Jason Lee went and followed, as we say, Collymore Forrest. to, to, yeah, to Forest. Yourself and Tommy came over, most importantly, so we'll get to that in a second. <laughs> Hi, this is Tommy Mooney
0: So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with Delivery. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants. 18 plus. Serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com.
3: But in coming in behind Barry Fry was that Peter Taylor at that point? yeah, it was, yeah, yeah, so Peter Taylor had been assistant on, manager, man. had been assistant manager.
1: <laughs> you want me to open
2: up
3: <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, <come> on. <laughs> he'd been assistant manager to Steve Perryman, who we already right. know. Was was course, wasn't a front-footed manager. I think it's fair to say we yeah. we bought in a couple of players from the non-league, obviously Andy Hessenthaler and Paul Furlong, due to Peter Taylor. But even with that, he still wasn't overly popular at, at Watford at all. But obviously, he comes in. What's the difference between a Peter Taylor side and a Barry Fry environment at South End?
1: Yeah, huge. So that and managers have got different ways, haven't they? Like yeah. you're touching on. We we were used to. Front foot, trying to win the game. Barry Fry throwing cups around. Massive <laughs> fights between each other. Yeah, yeah. Players not players prepared to pick each other out, but only to make each other better. Standards high. Um, constructive. Being constructive. Yeah, constructive. Being constructive. But Peter come in, but Peter had a different style. And I, I, I can relate it a little bit to the team down the road, as in when Rob Edwards went in there. They were successful with what they were doing, and I don't think he changed it. Yeah. Peter Taylor come in at South End and he started trying to get us to be more cautious. With Barry, we we hardly mentioned the opposition. The opposition wasn't mentioned. It was like they respected that you would know who's in the opposition. They might mention, well, he's he's dangerous and they're dangerous on the set pieces, but it would be a five-minute conversation. Peter come in and there was a lot of talk about the opposition, a lot of let's be cautious, let's not, we're bombing on too much yeah. and it just didn't work. It didn't work. Players just, it, but in in fairness to Peter, so he just tried to change too much too quick and it just didn't work but in fairness to him, it, he's trying to do it his way and it, we were used to the other way and I think it's always hard to try and, Turn that around at Christmas, and uh, and I think if he had left it alone, it would have been it would have been fine. But no, he, he was a bit too more cautious. It, we drifted down the league. I think we ended up halfway. But it, yeah, I'm not. I don't want to sound like I'm criticism because he's got his own style and managed to have their own style. Uh, yeah, but be, to go right. from what we went to that, it it just didn't work. The players weren't responding to it.
3: Yeah well and and if you've got a manager who's making it, it it's about what we do and then you suddenly change that that dynamic it's very difficult in a dressing room to to hear suddenly a different message and just downshift a gear because it's like, well that's not what we do that's not how we've been programmed and and we've seen what happens when i think over the last couple of years at Watford when there are mixed messages because you've had a change of manager and a change of manager and a change of manager it's a hard thing to suddenly get a gear change in the in the positive way out of a team so it's hard there it's hard there we know that yeah. uh, in in that season or towards the end of that season we know that Tommy obviously w- w- was frustrated not getting his chances he came on loan to to Watford and as i said earlier on we had Paul Furlong there at the time you're still at, at South End we had a, a remarkable fight against relegation, which Tommy is just the kind of person you need to step into that. We didn't really know that at the time. We also had Dennis Bailey from your QBR who came in and just basically scored goals for fun. Even though he played for about seven minutes, he scored about nine. We had <laughs> Colin Foster come in. We had Keith Millen come in, players that you will know, and we'll talk about in a minute, at the end. And suddenly we had this wonderful kind of resurrection. We get to the end of the season and Paul Furlong where you're sat cloth and ashes here gets sold to Chelsea to build the rookery stand. Maybe, for Maybe, yeah. It what, what happens is, of course, we do have Glenn Roder is, is in charge of Watford. He has had an eye on you for some time and he brings you in alongside some other players that I'll mention in a minute. How did you get to hear about Glenn's interest in you? And um, did you have a conversation with Tommy about whether or not Watford would be the right move for you? How did the transfer come about?
1: Yeah. I mean, um, I can remember clearly, obviously, Barry was with Birmingham City, Barry Fry, he wanted me. I knew Peter Taylor was playing me, then not playing me, putting me stuff like that. But a true story, and I don't know if it's being tapped up, but I think it might have been. I was in Oxford with the mother and my children, and we were just in the caravans. And just because I'd been away on holiday with the lads, come back, we are just having a few days away, and some, somehow, I don't know how, but a message got through to us there from that Watford were interested and that Glenn Rhoda wanted to talk to me. And I, I, to this day, I don't know how they managed to find that I was there. <laughs> it was on like a caravan. And, and the, I can remember me, mum, the one, the girl I was with coming in, she was like as white as a ghost. And I'm saying, like, I thought something had happened. I'm like, what's wrong? What's wrong? She's like all excited. And I'm like, what's wrong? And she said, Want to talk to you? They want to sign you, and I, I was excited because I know the size of Watford, and I've always admired Watford from afar. Obviously, Graham Taylor's days, and seeing that yeah. when I was young, and, and stuff like that. That's how it happened. It was literally I was at, I was in Oxford in Oxford in the caravan, and somehow I do not know. <laughs> we weren't mobile phones. They got to, they weren't mobile phones. They would got to the thing, which I thought was great. It obviously showed that he yeah. really was interested. And Tommy was good because Tommy had rung, oh, a couple of days later, Tommy rung me up and Tommy had a, told me about the club and told me, look, that's great. Come get on board, Derek. And and I, I appreciate that. I still appreciate that from Tommy. He didn't have to make that phone call. He didn't have to like tell me about what it was like. And, but he did. And, and I always appreciated that from Tommy. But that's how it come about. And then it was a case of Berman and Barry, someone who I knew, and someone I knew how they played, and I knew that he knew me. And because, uh, uh, like I said, I'm off the, I, I weren't scared to say my piece. I wasn't. Yeah. I, I like to win. And if I thought things weren't right, I'd say my piece. And I knew Barry understood that. But Glenn Rhoda, obviously, Watford, that made it a lot harder then. And uh, so I knew I'd talk to them both. But straight away, I, I wanted to come to. I, Wanted to come to Watford because I knew it was. A, they're both big clubs. They're both mad to me. Someone who's been at really? Barnet and End, Watford and Birmingham, two massive clubs. The Birmingham fans like me. Oh, this is another story because I'd punched David Speedy and got sent <laughs> off. So, <laughs>
2: so,
1: so they oh. like me because I'd done that. Apparently, i remember being on holiday and a lot of Birmingham fans coming up to me, shaking me hand, and I'm saying, "What for?" They said, "Well, because you hit David Speedy." So I was like. That's an odd thing to get a beer for, but that's good. But it was nice to have two championship teams, big clubs, yeah, that, had, that were interested in me. So that's, But, yeah, so then I had to talk to them both, and it went from there. And, how, and I'm glad how, to say I picked Watford.
3: How do, I was going to say, how what, one, it's lovely to hear about tapping up in the days before the internet and mobile phones. That's fantastic. <laughs> Tracking you down, as you say. But how what, what kind of tips are balanced? Because you say, Birmingham... Are are the proverbial sleeping giant. Let's be honest; they really they if they get themselves together at any point, uh, not mm-hmm. that they've done it in a, in a long time, I grant you. But what what made you tip the balance? Was it geography? Was it the people that you spoke to? Was it the kind of feeling that you got from from talking to Glenn or other people at the club?
1: Yeah, I think the geography come into it. Watford on the doorstep, Barnet. I'd perform well at Barnet, which was on the doorstep. Mm-hmm. End was we is different in them days. We travelled down. And I, it was fine. But looking back, the club, I don't know why the club weren't saying to me, move down here, because the travelling can take its toll. So that come into it. Also, because I'd been with Barry, I thought everyone's going to say just Barry Fry is the only one that signs him. And I wanted, and I respected Glenn Rhoda, an ex Queens Park Rangers player who had seen what. Of yeah. course. Yeah. And I knew he'd seen, I knew he'd, I'd come against him. At, he was Gillingham manager and I knew he liked me. We with with just, said hello and even just him to say hello i saw that as respect so i thought barry like if i'm on it barry tactically wasn't the greatest he was a motivator so i was hoping that Glen and tactically and Watford, the locality they are the things that swayed it for me but i was hoping that it'll be a different because i like things to be i think i've heard people say tactics ain't important tactics are very important and I was hoping to come into something where it was a little... Because Barry was very much front foot. Weak. The tactic was score more goals than the opposition. That was a tactic. That's so not a bad I was one. intrigued to come into a club like Watford, which is a massive club to me, and see if it was different in that way. So
3: we bring you in. We also bring in, and this is something that I think people might not know and might not remember, was selling Paul Furlong was just a, a, to replace him was a task and a half. We'll get into that. it, it, it in a cry. little bit. It did. It did many things. He dropped a point though, that made him cry as well. So there you go. Put it in perspective. So it's, <laughs> it was a nightmare trying to replace him. The players who came in and around that time was Tommy was signed full time. Derek came in and joined us. Jeff Pitcher from Millwall. Does anybody remember Jeff Pitcher? Little right winger, jinky little right winger, was a good player. And Jamie Morley was the big signing. On about 425, which was I think a lot of pressure coming along. If he'd have bought Dave Mitchell from Millwall, that might have been a different situation. But we didn't. We bought in Jamie Morley. But that season was really something. Nobody really, because of Furlong going, was expecting it to happen. You talked about mm-hmm. tactics, and one of the things that sort of evolved, and tell us how it how that how it did it instantly evolve. I can't remember. But we suddenly went to this midfield diamond. We were chatting about it the other day. Richard Johnson, who'd been Everybody had started to see what Jono was was about. Hadn't quite come to the full yet, was there. Sat at the base of the midfield. We had on the right side of this diamond, Andy Hessenthaler. Andy Hessenthaler would basically... uh, I imagine he is still running as we speak, because that's (laughs) what he did, right? (laughs) Right? Imagine a hamster wheel. That's his natural abode, right? On the left-hand side, you have Derek there, who is basically, to my mind, you were... Uh, I well, I think you, you played about twenty years too soon because I think suddenly with the pitches and the way that the, the ball gets played Thank now, you. the retention of the ball I think in the nineties wasn't quite so appreciated. Certainly for, from you. the terrace, from the terraces and in the championship, you go Andy Hessenthaler runs a lot, brilliant, and you were like, hold on, he's standing still, but he's in space. Oh, it was it, there was a different intelligence. So we had this diamond, we had Jono at the base, we had. Andy Hessenthaler on the right, we had you on the left, and we had a certain Craig Ramage at the point of the diamond, who helped make up for the lack of Paul Furlong, shall we say, and a number of forwards, the names of which we will go through in a minute, and just see what some of the reactions were. <laughs> now, when you came in, was that the game plan from the start? Because you were in for a couple of months before you got a, you picked up a knock, and it, was, it did, had it already evolved. I, th- I feel it had by the time we got to things like the Wolves, the Wolves game, and that sort of stuff. Yeah. Did that pick up? And uh, you, you say it was difficult not having a winger bursting in front of you. Gary Porter, of course, had to go and play at left back, so he had license to get forward, as Darren Baisley or Gerard Lavin would on the right. But that must have been a tricky one to have been taking his place.
1: Yeah, no, it was. It was. It was tricky. Gary and all them players you mentioned there got a lot of respect for them all. And and thank you for what you said. I'll, I'll pay you later, Peter. But <laughs> oh, um, but, but with that. Football in them days, like you said, I, I remember a supporters thing and someone saying, Oh, he only plays 10 yard passes. And that's I, I, I used to get frustrated because most teams in them days, like you are alluding to, it was smash, long ball. Yeah. That's where South End was good. We got it down and we played and on the front foot. So coming in in answer to your question, I knew we had good players, and with Gary in particular, we kind of worked, it was five of us. I, I couldn't believe Richard Johnson was only 19. Yeah. And Richard was outstanding. Andy S and Tyler. Gary Porter, who obviously a club legend. Me and him, both left these, And obviously, Craig. And it's like, we, we weren't sure at first. I think he was trying to fit us in, like, 4-4-2. Four, four, he was trying to fit us all in. And I think in the end, he just went, we went to a diamond. I think he realised, Glenn, I think Glenn, thought we're very strong with midfielders. And he'll go with the diamond. And I think we started working on it. Not at the beginning of pre-season. Just, I think he realised we've got... Good midfield will will go that way, and and, it, and he started doing it near the end of pre season, and it it did work. I just think Gary, it was hard on Gary because it was either me or Gary would be going to left back, and he put Gary to left back, which I, I think was hard on Gary. But it worked, it, it worked, and obviously Craig Ramage, Craig Ramage to me, well, the best player I've ever played with. Just honestly, just unbelievable talent. So to have him at the point. Andy and me would run all day. We, we would run all day and we'd, we'd try and keep the ball in play. safe. And Richard, which I didn't realise Richard was only 19, Richard Johnson at the base. Yeah, we were strong. We were strong in midfield. And it, it just clicked. Uh, I, was, I was a little bit frustrated because we didn't have wingers ahead of us, which I, I like putting people yeah. through. But we would play tippy, what were they call tippy-tappy football. But Craig was the icing on the cake because... I think with a 10, as, as we all see 10s nowadays yep. a lot more, if they ain't scoring or they ain't making goals, really they become a bit of a luxury. But with Craig, Craig would produce what we call produce. Craig yeah. was just outstanding and a funny guy as well, but an outstanding footballer.
3: I remember us signing him in the February. And he came into the team. This is the February before you joined, obviously. And uh, we were away at Shelton and we went and got turned over three nil. And uh, I was there and a mate hadn't come. And he just said, what are we looking like? And I went, Oh yeah, we lost three nil. And he also said, what's the new bloke like? He said, I said, I think we signed Glenn Hoddle, which made no sense because we've just been dicked three nil. And he came along and you just went, Oh my God, there is really something about this guy. One, he can beat players. Second, he's got a passing range. He's got a shot on him. But, I think if he hadn't have had, shall we say, knee well knee issues, obviously, but also a propensity to run that way, but not run that way on occasions, <laughs> simply because of the knees, he he would have been he would have been international honors. It was ridiculous that he was playing, that we were seeing him play at that season. It was just like wow, because again we were fighting against this relegation battle at the time. But anyway, we forward wind. We get to the point whereby it suddenly felt like the team was even with, and I've got to say it, obviously the two forwards were Tommy Mooney, who everybody loves because Tommy Mooney is like a he's like a traction engine that everybody's removed the sides. You can see all of the work going on from the engine, and it's just like, oh, my God, you can't just not love somebody who is seemingly working that hard. The upfront equivalent of Andy Hessenthaler in that side, because you're just going, I really appreciate the work rate. But alongside him, he did have Jamie Morley, who found it obviously very tough in terms of it. What was when, when when you came in? What was your first perception of up front? Because we ended up having to go through, and I'm going to name these players, and we're all going to win some of these, some of the fo- that we didn't couldn't quite get the forward combination, and yet. We finished seventh in that first season, not giving the game away here. Seventh in the championship was a phenomenal achievement with a misfiring. One of the forward line just wasn't firing correctly. What did you make of Morley when, when Jamie Morley when we, we brought him in and he was having a tough time?
1: Yeah, I felt for him. I've got to be honest. I felt for him. One, because he had the big price tag on him. And he, he'd scored loads of goals for Millwall the previous season in the championship. And as all strikers, isn't it? If they don't score early, that pressure starts to build up. But I will defend him. I'll defend him here now, as in because of, and I mentioned about you saying up top. Well, I was surprised. I like to, I put, for me, I can put wingers in or forwards, quick forwards. Mm -hmm. So Jamie was a box player, goal scorer in the box. And at Millwall, they used to get their two wingers, get to the bylines, low crosses coming in, crosses in the box, stuff like that. He wasn't someone who was going to be strong, hold the ball up or run in behind. Now and again, he had, he'll do, He do. had good runs, but not that. That wasn't his game. His game was wingers to the byline, crosses coming in, and, and that's how he scored all his goals at Millwall. So he we didn't have wingers. And I think that killed him early on because he's trying to score goals that he hasn't scored all his life. He's trying to run in behind. He's trying to hold it up, stuff like that. And obviously then, and we played a lot in midfield, so he didn't. For me, we didn't play to his style. We didn't have wingers. We didn't, and so he was. Once he weren't scoring early on, it became a problem. He was honestly in training. He was sharp, fit, quick, uh, as in clever player. But once he didn't score, I think his confidence dropped a bit, mm-hmm. and then it just didn't go right for him, did it? it? Didn't go right for him. But I will say the style of play, I think he wanted wingers on the pitch, he wanted the ball coming in the box more than what we put it in the box. Yeah. He's what I call fox in the box. That's him. So...
3: It didn't work out for him. That, that's that's true. But nice, nicely put. So, the, so the, the the accommodation of all of the of the whole shape kind of worked. It did. It did seem to confuse a lot of players, a lot of the teams who we played in, especially in that first season, because we did outnumber teams. We overran them in the middle. You had Basley or Lavin on the right. You had Gary pushing up the Gary Ports on the left, and it, it it still seemed to work. And you had that cutting edge with, with, with Remage there. Your first goal, your first game though. For Watford, actually, or certainly the first game at Vicarage Road was an interesting one because it preceded the season and it was actually against Tottenham in a friendly. It was the first of three games we played against Tottenham that season because, and it it was like about 15,000, it was sold out. It was a beautiful day and it was a friendly because Tottenham were bringing a certain Jürgen, the German Klinsmann. I was there. Uh, to, to, yeah, I was there as well. I was also, and I do apologize to everybody who was gonna go, what are you doing? Yeah, I was one of the ones standing on the step on the chairs doing the damn busters thing. I'm sorry. It was a long time ago. The statute of limitations for being an idiot has long since passed. But that was a hell of a day. What were your memories of that and playing Clinsman in I think you were in the you made the 6-3 game, but I think the injury took you out of the 3-2 second yeah. left, didn't it? What did you, you make of playing that Tottenham side? It had Sheringham, it had Klinsman, it had Dumitrescu, it had Nicky Barmby, and Darren Anderton.
2: Ian Walker in like, goal.
1: Ian Walker
3: in goal. Ah, <laughs> we, and on that, that we tried to Larry, we right Yeah, go on, mate. What do you team think? Team what team do you
1: remember? Goal. Well, the first one, the friendly, obviously friendlies. Once the friendly was already arranged, I believe. But then Klinsman joins Tottenham and all of a sudden it's a sellout because one of the stands was they were building the stand, the, rookery. Wasn't there. the Rookery wasn't there. They were building yeah, the Rookery. So, yeah. so for a friendly at Vicarage Road, one of my first games, Tottenham coming, that was great anyway. But once Klinsman is coming to be a sellout, so I remember it was a really hot day. And I remember that he didn't really do a lot. They were pre-season. He, and you're looking at Klinsman and I'm thinking, you're thinking, oh yeah, he ain't really, he didn't really put it about. They weren't full out, I don't think. We both of us were because you, you don't want to get injured. Yeah. And it was a nil. I think it was a nil. Was it or did we lose? It, it was close.
3: It, it, it was one-one. Jono got a goal. One-one. That's it.
1: Yeah. But they didn't show us that. Oh no. Therefore, no. Uh,
3: no, um, no, no. David Holsworth had Klinsman in his pocket. I'm sure that's why. Uh, I, uh, <laughs> I should
1: have told you. Should I be? Uh, yeah. So. <laughs> The second game, yeah, win the league yeah. cup, yeah, they were they that was an eye opener because they were good, very good. Klinsman was outstanding, Demetriscu was outstanding. There it is. They had well world, well class players. Sol yeah. Campbell was at the back, but to be fair, we. They went ahead. Well, every time we went ahead after a minute, it, yeah, and I remember us in the huddle, and, and uh, honestly, we're going, nah, they're nah, 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 not all that. <laughs> this is after a minute. <laughs> we obviously upset them. We upset them, and then Klinsman, and they done well, they, Klinsman especially, but I had said to David Oldsworth before the game, and I was being genuine, Klinsman was scoring loads of goals. Yeah. Like, I'll, I'll just bring him... Show him our way, and I'll try and come and get him from the front. we we'll try and double up on him as much as possible. And David was quite sure of himself, and David said, don't worry, I'll have him in my pocket. Well, I think he scored two in about 20 minutes. He had a hat-trick after about 30 minutes. He does. I they don't think that them. one worked out for David that night, but he was, <laughs> was, brilliant. That, was, that Klinsmann, Klinsmann was
2: brilliant. Did Sicknode just score there? Darren Anderson. <laughs> yeah, da- Darren yeah.
3: Anderson. And then Klinsman gets the perfect hat-trick. He gets one with his right. He gets a header, and then he gets one with his left. And he, it was, I have to say, the most sublime piece of attacking performance in one half that I think I can remember. Because we were good that night, and to, to any game to finish six three, well, that's a bundle of fun. And as you say, Ian Walker, yes, he should have been he should have been sent off when you're playing at Hayes and the penny is dropping, and the journey that you've gone on to get to here. And I don't mean to just eulogise about one player, but if you're going to do it. Do it for somebody who can finish like that.
2: With his there, ball, there was another, yeah. um, there was another future Watford player playing in that game, as I believe. Who was playing in that? Who else was that? Though? I think Ronnie Rosenthal was Ooh, in there somewhere. He, I, he, I think I know, he might have been on. Think he the might have been on the bench. Game. Was he on yeah. the bench? I think so. Hell yeah. yeah. In, but, let's face but, like, it,
3: they had enough forward power to basically power the, power the whole bloody country electricity wise. There's a young Sol Campbell going, Tommy Mooney's kicked me. Yeah, live with it. That's what we like.
1: To say. <laughs> yeah, no, they were outstanding. They were known for it, weren't they? The front six, as they called them. But I must say, Klinsman, Klinsman was. The best player I ever played against it because it his brain was more than what I thought it was. You look at him, you think he's a bit. He's, he's just ath- athletic, but he's very clever of knowing his awareness of where the defender was. So he, he was the best player I ever played against. But also they had Demetriescu who had played yeah. for I think Romania, wasn't he? Got to the yeah, semifinal yeah, 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 World yeah. Yeah. Cup,
3: Stal and and yeah.
1: But but what was interesting was there they were so powerful and quick. They, they, the athleticism of them was too much for us, but we gave them a good go. We kept going at them. But them two in particular, Klinsman and they were the difference. They were the difference. Like they they were just unbelievable footballers.
3: Well, Demetrisky, and, and the reason I really wanted to talk that about the game was obviously we have recently taken on a certain player and, of course, leaping forward a, a little bit to, to Derek's uh, role with, with Three Counties Radio and having a look at it, is a certain Georgi Czakvaladze, Jack Fatadze, which is why we call him Dave. Right? pronounce
2: Dave. <laughs> yeah.
3: yeah. <laughs> he has. He, he does a little bit of that trick where he kind of jinx and goes on the outside, which everybody knew what Demetrescu was going to do. But stopping him doing it was absolutely impossible. Up close, was there? could you work him out at all? I appreciate this is a, a Tottenham loving almost for a moment, but that side was something else.
1: Yeah, no, like with Dimitrescu, like you said, you knew what he was going to do. But the power, it was more the power and the pace of him. So, like I said before, when I wanted to get bigger after I played against Steve Stone, I w- like they, what I wish we had in them days was what they've got now, the sports science, the power things, because the power that he, you knew what he was going to do, but once he'd gotten, he was off. He's, you couldn't catch him. And and yeah. sometimes, though, you get that. I've been, i played against some Premier players, and they're just physically, it's like playing, they're just on a different level. Like Thierry Henry, I would imagine, and like Demetruscu and Klinsman, they were like just on a different level even to Premier League players where they are like so quick, so strong, that if they've got good football ability, it's hard, it's hard to stop it's, them. Is it the it's brain hard. as well? You it? have to have someone of their same stature. Yeah. So The one I remember was Chris Armstrong at Crystal Palace and I don't think, I'm not taking he's a good footballer, but I don't think he was brilliant, but so powerful and quick that you couldn't stay with him when he knocked it by people. And that's what I took out of that game that, I wanted to get more powerful, quicker off the mark. But I wish we had what we had then. I tried to do it. You try and find out what to do and the exercises you need to do. But I think that was the difference. But also, they were very good footballers. And especially them two, Demetrescu and Klinsman, they they just on another level, right? Like. But I do, like I said, again, they're so fit, so powerful. It's like they're, they're, they're more than even Premier League players.
0: It's the 90th minute. All your mates around, you've got your McNuggets share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget. Snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus. Serving times, delivery free In terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince
3: is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands.
2: by fans.